0: welcome to exo Higher yourself it's your friend bunny here i hope you had a fantastic week mine was pretty good i got to go to the beach one day i did some work i tried to do some relaxation stuff i hope that you're being sweet to yourself and you got to do some fun stuff too As I was trying to think of what to share for this special in-between episode, I was remembering how so many people ask me all the time what spiritual or self-help books have helped me over the years, you know, who's inspired me, what teachers. So today I thought it would be kind of cool to do a reading of some of the writing from a few of the teachers who have influenced me. Truthfully, there's like a ton of artists, teachers, activists out there who've had a huge impact over my spiritual path and my art. But for today, I just chose three of them. So right now I'm sitting in my bedroom with my cat Pepper right next to me and there's books covering the bed and Pepper is snoring kind of loudly, but I just don't have the heart to wake her. So if you hear some cat snores in the background of this recording, please forgive me. Okay, the first reading is the longest and then I'll do a couple shorter ones. Yay! This first passage is from a book called A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And it was the first quote unquote spiritual book that I ever read. I read it in 2008 and during that time in my life, I was going through a pretty rough patch. And I remember picking up this book and feeling very skeptical about it because I had heard about it at Oprah's book club and I was like, okay, let me see about this. But after I read it, it had a profound effect on me and how I saw the world. It helped me connect to the inner realm and the spiritual realm that felt right and it felt like I was coming back home. The very beginning of this book has a very special place in my heart. I hope you enjoy it as well. Earth. 114 million years ago, one morning just after sunrise, the first flower ever to appear on the planet opens up to receive the rays of the sun. Prior to this momentous event that heralds an evolutionary transformation in the life of plants, the planet had already been covered in vegetation for millions of years. The first flower probably did not survive for long, and flowers must have remained rare and isolated phenomena since conditions were most likely not yet favorable for a widespread flowering to occur. One day, however, a critical threshold was reached, and suddenly there would have been an explosion of color and scent all over the planet if a perceiving consciousness had been there to witness it. Much later, those delicate and fragrant beings we call flowers would come to play an essential part in the evolution of consciousness of another species. Humans would increasingly be drawn to and fascinated by them. As the consciousness of human beings developed, flowers were most likely the first thing they came to value that had no utilitarian purpose for them. That is to say, was not linked in some way to survival. They provided inspiration to countless artists, poets, and mystics. Jesus tells us to contemplate the flowers and learn from them how to live. The Buddha is said to have given a silent sermon once, during which he held up a flower and gazed at it. After a while, one of those present, a monk called Makasyapa, began to smile. He is said to have been the only one who understood the sermon. According to legend, that smile, that is to say, realization, was handed down by 28 successive masters and much later became the origin of Zen. Seeing beauty in a flower could awaken humans, however briefly, to the beauty that is an essential part of their innermost being, their true nature. The first recognition of beauty was one of the most significant events in the evolution of human consciousness. The feelings of joy and love are intrinsically connected to that recognition. Without our fully realizing it, flowers would become for us an expression in form of that which is most high, most sacred, and ultimately formless within ourselves. Flowers, more fleeting, more ethereal, and more delicate than plants out of which they emerged, would become like messengers from another realm, like a bridge between the world of physical forms and the formless. They not only had a scent that was delicate and pleasing to humans, but also brought a fragrance from the realm of spirit. Using the word enlightenment in a wider sense than the conventionally accepted one, we could look upon flowers as the enlightenment of plants. Any life form in any realm, mineral, vegetable, animal, or human, can be said to undergo enlightenment. It is, however, an extremely rare occurrence since it's more than an evolutionary progression. It also implies a discontinuity in its development, a leap to an entirely different level of being and most important, a lessening of materiality. What could be heavier and more impenetrable than a rock, the densest of all forms? And yet, some rocks undergo a change in their molecular structure, turn into crystals, and so become transparent in the light. Some carbons, under inconceivable heat and pressure, turn into diamonds, and some heavy minerals into other precious stones. Most crawling reptilians, the most earthbound of all creatures, have remained unchanged for millions of years. Some, however, grew feathers and wings and turned into birds, thus defying the force of gravity that had held them for so long. They didn't become better at crawling or walking, but transcended crawling and walking entirely. Since time immemorial, flowers, crystals, precious stones, and birds have held special significance for the human spirit. Like all life forms, they are, of course, temporary manifestations of the underlying one life, one consciousness. Their special significance and the reason why humans feel such fascination for and affinity with them can be attributed to their ethereal quality. Once there is a certain degree of presence, of still and alert attention in human beings' perceptions, they can sense the divine life essence, the one indwelling consciousness or spirit in every creature every life form, recognize it as one with their own essence, and so love it as themselves. Until this happens, however, most humans see only the outer forms, unaware of the inner essence just as they are unaware of their own essence and identify only with their own physical and psychological form. In the case of a flower, a crystal, precious stone or bird however, even someone with little or no presence can occasionally sense that there is more than the mere physical existence of that form. Without knowing that, this is the reason why he or she or they is drawn toward it, feels an affinity with it. Because of its ethereal nature, its form obscures the indwelling spirit to a lesser degree than is the case with other life forms. The exception to this are all newborn life forms, babies, puppies, kittens, lambs, and so on. They are fragile, delicate, not yet firmly established in materiality. In innocence, a sweetness and beauty that are none of this world shine through them. They delight even relatively insensitive humans. So when you are alert and contemplate a flower, crystal, or bird without naming it mentally, It becomes a window for you into the formless. There's an inner opening, however slight, into the realm of spirit. This is why these three enlightened life forms have played such an important part in the evolution of human consciousness since ancient times. Why, for example, the jewel in the lotus flower is a central symbol of Buddhism and a white bird, the dove, signifies the Holy Spirit in Christianity. They have been preparing the ground for a more profound shift in planetary consciousness that is destined to take place in the human species. This is a spiritual awakening that we are all beginning to witness now. The next reading I'm going to do is from a book called All About Love by Bell Hooks. If you don't know, Bell Hooks is an author and an activist and this book, All About Love, really inspired me because bell hooks talks a lot about the intersection of our social and political activism and how important love is in the transformation of our world and what an important role we have to play as spiritual beings so this is a short section of the book that i wanted to share Imagine how much easier it would be for us to learn how to love if we began with a shared definition. The word love is most often defined as a noun, yet all the more astute theorists of love acknowledge that we would all love better if we used it as a verb. I spent years searching for a meaningful definition of the word love and was deeply relieved when I found one in psychiatrist M. Scott Peck's classic self-help book, The Road Less Traveled, first published in 1978. Echoing the work of Eric Fromm, he defined love as the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. Explaining further, he continues... Love is as love does. Love is an act of will, namely both an intention and an action. Will also implies choice. We do not have to love, we choose to love. Much as I enjoy popular new age commentary on love, I'm often struck by the dangerous narcissism fostered by spiritual rhetoric that pays so much attention to individual self-improvement and so little to the practice of love within the context of community. Packaged as a commodity, spirituality becomes no different from an exercise program. While it may leave the consumer feeling better about his or her life, its power to enhance our communion with ourselves and others in a sustained way is inhibited. Commenting on the value of an engaged life in the act of life, wisdom for work, creativity, and caring, Parker Palmer writes, To be fully alive is to act. I understand action to be in any way that can co-create reality with other beings and the spirit. Action, like a sacrament, is the visible form of an invisible spirit, an outward manifestation of an inward power. But as we act, we not only express what it is in us and help give shape to the world, we also receive what is outside us and reshape our inner selves. A commitment to a spiritual life requires us to do more than read a good book or go to a restful retreat. It requires conscious practice, a willingness to unite the way we think with the way we act. For the last reading, I wanted to share a poem by Rumi. For those of you who don't know, Rumi is a mystic poet who wrote in the 1200s, and his writing, his poetry, and his prose have been passed down through generations and across cultures and across religions. and. All of his writing is about devotion to spirit and there's so many beautiful poems I have not read all of them but I wanted to read this particular one because it really reminded me of the time that we're living in right now and some of the challenges that we face. It's called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness, Because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Well, that's the end of this in-between season special offering. I just wanted to remind everyone our regular format is coming back for season two in September. So if you have any lingering questions that you want to talk to me about, send them in at any time. Record a voice memo and email it to xohireself at gmail.com. We hope you're doing okay and like always that this podcast can bring a little peace and positivity during what for a lot of us is probably one of the most strategically difficult and emotionally challenging year of our lives so stay strong stay strong in your vulnerability stay in touch with your higher self because your higher self loves you and so do i till next time see you later bye